how did we normally start these things? Instrument warming up. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gerardo Polly. And this, I'm oh, sorry. One of the best bits of advice I've ever received was to find good mentors and to learn from them. Trusted people who have already done what you're trying to do now. I've been fortunate throughout my career to have some fantastic mentors to help guide me, but I realize that they'd be hard to find and also hard to commit the time to one. This is why we've gathered some of the best minds from the veterinary world and squeezed them for their wisdom so that you don't have to learn the hard way. With the help of our guests, we flip the veterinary profession on its back and explore its soft underbelly to find the tips, tools, and inspiration that you'll need to build the career that you've always wanted. I'm Gerardo Poli. I'm Hubert Hemstra, and this is The Vet Vault. When Gerardo first suggested today's guest to me, I must admit that I was slightly skeptical. If our aim with this podcast is to pick the brains of successful people in the veterinary profession to see if they could share some of their acquired wisdom with us, then surely our guest will need years of experience. Or so I thought, but boy was I wrong. Let me assure you that you do not need years of experience to have some serious focus and have the right mindset. Gerardo, please tell us a bit more about Brooke. Dr. Brooke Champers is an emergency veterinarian at our busy emergency hospital in Brisbane, Australia a career that she chose very deliberately and pursues with passion and positivity despite all of its challenges. She shares her challenges and what she is learning on her very popular Instagram account, Dr. Unscore Brooke, inspiring and helping thousands of others in the process. What I found very valuable about Brooke's post and about this conversation is that unlike more experienced vets, she's not looking back at the challenges that face recent graduates through the mist of time and with the benefit of hindsight like we do a little bit, she's facing them right now. So she has to learn and apply strategies to solve these problems on a daily basis. Um, and she has some great strategies to share with us. We talk about getting your attitude right to work undesirable shifts, practicing and projecting confidence when you're not feeling all that confident, how to deal with being a fresh-faced vet, in other words, how to ensure that clients take you seriously if you're looking very young and how to improve your communication skills. Brooke gives advice on picking and pursuing your dream job with tips on how to get that all important foot in the door. No discussion about emergency work is complete or would be complete without stories of triumph and failure and how to deal with the demands of a job that can be very stressful. We'll discuss some great ideas on how to keep your mind fit to fight another day. We'll delve a bit into the world of social media that Brooke finds herself in, the how, the good, and the bad. So whether you're a young vet sharing the same struggles as Brooke or a jaded old timer like Gerardo, this conversation <laughs> is guaranteed to motivate and inspire. Please enjoy and don't forget to stay tuned for our bonus section at the end of the episode. Hi everyone, thank you for joining us again. Fairly excited today. Uh, our guest today is someone from within, actually, our hospital at Animal Emergency Service in Brisbane. She is someone who has shown a lot of dedication and demonstrated incredible 
commitment and an effort to enter the field of emergency and critical care straight from university. So she'll have a lot of hints and tips, but I suppose what's more powerful than hints and tips is strategies and things that she's learned along the way. So Dr. Brooke Champers will share with us any insights she has for those wanting to enter more specialized fields of veterinary medicine. Hi, Brooke. Hi, Gerardo. Lovely to meet you. Hubert's here. Hi, thank you so much for inviting me. It's a pleasure. I can't wait to wait to, to dig a little bit deeper into the life of Dr. Brooke. Um, <laughs> so just to clarify, uh, I don't actually know this, but to clarify for the listeners, you guys actually work together in the same clinic? We do. Dr. Dr. Gerardo mentored me basically since I was in third year of vet school. Um, and then it was... Uh, probably fifth year I started bugging him for a job and an internship and then um, he's trained me throughout the internship and continuing education along with a lot of the other senior vets in the hospital so and now we work together yeah awesome. it's great <laughs> so, so so just to clarify brooke this is a safe space you don't have to do what gerardo says during this <laughs> in fact in fact there's a hopefully there'll be thousands if not millions of people listening to this so if you want to get a message out there if you want somebody to come and rescue you just <laughs> just blink, blink twice and, I'll <laughs> and we'll send somebody <laughs> are we gonna we're gonna are we gonna kill the audio uh, the, the video here so the audience can't see my death stares when <laughs> Brooke starts talking about a sensitive topic uh, <laughs> I can't. I can't see if Brooks blinking or just crying. I think it's just crying. <laughs> oh, cool. All good. Uh, so, did you guys spend the the, the well, we're recording this episode just after after New Year's, early in the New Year? So, did you guys spend Christmas and New Year's together, working happily together? We spent Christmas and New Year's Day together. Um, yeah. I don't know if happily would be the word I would choose. Nah, it was great. It was great. Gerardo always brings a lot of comedic air to the stress of emergency life. I think yeah. it works, yeah. it works yeah. quite well. Yeah. I, I do my best to entertain myself. To entertain yourself and then everybody else laughs at you anyway. So it's, yeah, that's <laughs> it's a tough time, isn't it? It's tough for, so I, I, I work Christmas day as well I, I'm in, in, in our clinic. It is, um, it can be mentally quite a challenging time when everybody else is having fun and you stuck at work, I, 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 I don't know, do you, do you guys struggle with it? Um, I don't, I think, you know, when I think about what I would do on Christmas day, what I do is work in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, and the same with on new year's day, you know, public holidays, I see myself working. Um, and I don't know if that's just because I love what I do or just the unfortunate reality of emergency medicine. But I know I heard Dr. Alex say, you know, she had a choice this year if she wanted to spend Christmas with her family and she chose the hospital instead because that's where she makes her biggest impact. And I definitely agree. That's a, a spectacular attitude. You, um, you're very wise. I, uh, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a sulker. I, I tend to feel <laughs> sorry for myself. I have to work hard. And it actually has taken me a long time to, to get to the inside exactly what you, what you just said you know, and what, what you learned from Alex is, um, is where... I suppose reframing it for myself this morning, Christmas morning, driving down to work, leaving the kids behind, mm. going, oh, poor me, everybody else is having fun. <laughs> and I actually had to consciously reframe it in my mind and, and go, look, when I started out starting to be a vet, I wanted to be a vet. I wanted to, to help. You want to be a hero sometimes. And there's, there's no bigger opportunity than on a public holiday, especially Christmas, yeah. to do just that. So if it's about adding value to, to the lives of people and animals, 
the public holidays are probably the, the the best opportunity to do it. And you literally get to save lives. You get to come home after Christmas and go and say, yeah, this I made a massive impact today. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think the key thing you said there, um, Hubert, was the reframe. Um, sometimes you, and it's, and it's, maybe it's linked to the whole idea about not, or controlling the things that you can control. Mm-hmm. So you can't control that you can't, that you have to work on New Year's. Yep. Um, but, or, or Christmas, but actually what you can control is the way that you think about it. So instead of thinking, as you said there, you know, originally the thought was um, time away from family, time away from children, but then you reframed it and you made it into something that was meaningful for you. I yep. think that was really powerful. And no, thanks for sharing that. It's, it's also a question of perspective is, is to look at it and go, yeah, that's 12 hours out of my Christmas day that I'm not spending with my family. But again, I get to go home and then I see them afterwards or I spend the morning with them. Things could be a hell of a lot worse. But you're right. Mm-hmm. It is a, it's a, sometimes you have to make a conscious effort if you, if you identify that you are not in a good mental space is to go to stop and go, how can I, how can I fix this? How can I, how can I reframe it for myself? Anyways, mm. now we now we talking amongst each other and yeah. <laughs> ignoring oh, our Brooke, you you seeded the word impact and yes. So and how did you feel? Did you feel like that you had an impact over the Christmas Day and New Year's Day? Yeah, I definitely. You know, just even um, I saw a returning client come in and it wasn't even my case, um, and she was there on the crash bench um, with another vet. And I came over and I gave her a hug. And one of the first things that she said to me was, oh, I'm really, really glad you're here. Mm. And for a client to just turn around and say that to you is one of the nicest things in the world. And just to be able to be there and support them in that time is hugely monumental. And it can be as much as, you know, sorting out a little old lady with her dog with a sore ear. Mm. And she's happy because her dog's fixed and her dog's, you know, getting better or sending home a really, really sick animal or being able to look into a client's eyes and say, look, I can save your dog. Mm. Just have to let me. Yeah. Um, And that's, yeah, massive, massive thing. And I I think that's important what you said there. It doesn't always have to be just the the big life-saving things. Those, the the little things, yeah, I think we all underestimate how much people worry about it and and what a relief, even the things that that we sometimes think, oh, what a stupid waste of my time on Christmas Day, so it's such a, it could have waited. That client's very worried and you make their day by giving them, if nothing else, peace of mind sometimes. Yeah, exactly. And it's kind of, it's what's an emergency in the owner's mind, not what's an emergency in our mind as well, which I think we have to remember sometimes. Exactly. And also the impact we have on the, the pets, right? Um, sore ear. Well, I, I, for New Year's, uh, at New Year's, I treated a dog which had um, a single ear infection, but it was incredibly painful. It had severe pus coming out of it and things. And we made a big impact on that particular dog mm. on, you know, on that day. So impact for the, for the pets as well. So, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Right. Did you gonna, are you going to start today, Gerard? Or do you want, I've, I've got questions lined up for Brooke. You go for it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Brooke, I, um, to try to to try get a bit of a grip on, on who you are and what you do, I've been looking through through your Instagram photos. That's, mm-hmm. that's obviously the easiest way to <laughs> easiest place to find. It's a great great um, great little account. Well, not that little. What's it? Fifteen thousand plus <laughs> plus plus yeah. people. I but what strikes me um, is you look super young. You look very, let's say fresh faced. That might just be because I'm old. <laughs> um, and I, I from talking to other vets and listening on chat groups and that, I often find that. It's a, it can be a concern for, for, for young vets. It can be a problem. 
where they where they struggle with not you know looking looking young and clients not not necessarily even realizing they they that they vets do you struggle with that do you, is it something that you that you deal with sometimes and if you do do you have any any solutions or workabouts or any tips for for other young vets coming into it how how do you deal with it yeah definitely i think you know i'm just turning 24 next week and i think going into a consult room i don't set myself up for failure i don't set myself up for people to just look at me and think i'm just a a young a young person um and i don't let myself become confused with being a nurse or a receptionist or anything like that so i always make sure that i wear my name badge um i walk in and i introduce myself as dr brooke mm-hmm. um and then i usually shake a client's hand and i set that authority in the room straight away um yep. so i don't let myself be put in a situation where I can be perceived as young and um, I guess less knowledgeable than what an older vet would be. And I think that's a really, really important thing that you set up that expectation when you walk into a consult room, because as soon as you've dispelled that myth, you earn a client's trust almost immediately, or at least the starting of building a trusting relationship with them. Absolutely. Okay. That's, that's very, very valuable. Um, it's communication, isn't it? It's communication and, and first impressions. Definitely. I've got a keen interest now in, in consult mentoring and, and consult formats. And what you, what Brooke said there was, is critical. It's critical for new graduates or, or for young appearing, maybe there's a bit of envy coming out of my voice there, young appearing veterinarians. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> Sure, Huber's incredibly envious, but um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, setting the setting, I suppose the expectation, but also setting the um, setting the steam, setting the stage. Mm. That um, I, I suppose who you are and what your role is in this upcoming interaction with them. So then, yeah, I, I suppose I'm I'm going over the same thing that Brooke said, only because that's really critical, and that would yeah. be one of the key things that. I would think new graduates or vets or vet students would take from this is, is really going to set that scene, not, not with an aggressive authority, but it's yep. clear, confident and just connected sort of interaction saying, my name is Gerardo and I'm your veterinarian tonight. Yeah. yeah and I don't know whether it's a, an issue as well coming out of university. Maybe when you've just graduated, you don't have that self-confidence yet, even though you've earned the piece of paper that says you're a doctor. Mm. Whether a lot of, you know, younger veterinarians still don't have that confidence within themselves to kind of announce it to the world. And it's when you introduce yourself to a client as a doctor, it's not being conceited or up yourself or anything like that to say, look, I'm, I'm Dr. Brooke. Yeah. But you just say it with a smile on your face just so that they know who, you're, who you are. Mm. And that's the biggest thing um, because you're going to be the person treating their pet and you want them to know that, you're the vet, not the mm. nurse no, treating, exactly. treating yeah. their patient. And hey, look, it is, it is hard. You, you come out and you, you are probably, no, not probably, I said was. you're scared and you're a little bit nervous initially and you walk in there maybe not feeling the most confident, but mm. you've got to practice looking the part. And I think maybe that's the key. Maybe you need to, well, if you don't have it naturally, it's practice. In the, in the evenings, stand in front of the mirror and say, hi, I'm Dr. <laughs> Dr. Yeah whoever and actually just get that get get at least that impression of confidence instilled in you so you can so you can portray it on the day i think that's important you know practicing confidence as well because there are times where you have no idea what's going on with the patient mm. 
but you mm. can't let them know that yeah, exactly. because you need to do more tests to be able to find out what's going on. You might not know initially, but you still have to protect, project this air of, look, I, I don't know exactly what's going on, but I know what I need to do to find out. Absolutely. And it is all about that projecting confidence, even when you're a little bit scared about what's going on with the patient and, you know, it all does tie into that. Would you feel that maybe confidence is something that you project, but it really starts somewhere deeper. It starts deeper than just the, the, the feeling that I need to be confident, but in order to, to feel confident, then you either get that through competence, right? Where you've done it over and over again. Well, like Hubert said, you practice in the mirror, your, your intro, but maybe, it, it comes from a, a deeper sort of sense of maybe courage or something like that, where you haven't done this before, but you have this certain level of courage, which enables you to go, this is what we need to do. I can step into that room and this is the person I'll need to be, or, you know, have that courage to, to, to be honest and open about the situation with the client so that they, they can see that you are there to help. What's your thoughts on that? I think definitely, you know, when I have a patient that comes in that's really critically ill and I don't know what's going on, but I know it's something bad, I'm very, very honest with the client and I say, look, I'm incredibly worried about your pet. I don't know exactly what's going on, but I know this is what I do know. I know that he's in shock. I know that he's losing blood. We need to find out where he's losing blood. So this is what I need to do to find out that. Um, and I think it's all also about setting up a very, very clear I guess, stepwise format. And you, you always know the stepwise format because that's what you've learned at uni. You've learned how to work up cases. So always revert back to the basics and what you do know. And as long as you show the client that you care, then that's the most important thing. Absolutely. That's, I harp on about that quite a bit. I, I, I actually, I, I wrote a little blog um, this week, or and, but based on, on something I read outside of veterinary science uh, about that showing showing your empathy. It's a little interesting a chapter in one of Malcolm Gladwell's books that talks about the subconscious and, and the subconscious part of communication and a study where they looked at um, human doctor-patient communication. And um, long story short, but they found that doctors who came across as as really dominant um, were tended to be sued or have, have some official action taken against them much more likely than ones who came across as primarily concerned. Um, they say even anxious, come across as anxious and concerned that they get sued less than, less than, than doctors who, who come across as really dominant and, and bossy. So that, um, that's, a, that's a vital piece of information. Oh, that's juicy, mate. I love I'll, that. I'll send you that link, Gerardo, if you want to read it. Please do. Um, so do you guys, so the, we, we're on the topic of communication, Brooke, have you ever done any official communication, I suppose, education or, or continuing education or, or special training, or is it just all on the job training? Um, we're very fortunate where I went to university at James Cook. We have a communication course structured through our university degree. Oh. Um, and at the time, you know, you sit there and you're like, oh, this is a waste of my time team building what type of personality am i blah 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 yeah um but i think unconsciously the important parts do sift through and stick with you Mm. um and then the rest of it is i think learning on the job 
Um, And until you actually get in there, you don't realize how important communication is because there's nothing like trying to beat like you're beating your head against a brick wall, trying to convince a client to do something. If you don't have the right communication skills to be able to do it. And I think that it's so important in veterinary medicine, because if you can't communicate what their pet needs efficiently, then they're not going to do it. It can be anything from your dog needs a dental and the owners go, Oh, okay. But then you go, no, your dog needs a dental because their mouth is ridden with bacteria it's infected it's painful when they eat oh he's still eating dry bickies uh but you know put it in your perspective would you still want to eat a raw carrot with the tooth falling out exactly um and it is it is all about communication and if your communication is ineffective then you can't help the patient which is ultimately what you've gone into this industry for so i think it is a very underestimated skill until you actually step into a consult room and you're like Oh shit! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I should have paid attention more. Yeah, absolutely. That that is really a very valuable thing that you guys had at your uni. We certainly didn't have that. Have you or or you, Gerardo, ever have you come across any other resources that that people? If you didn't go to James Cook and you're a, you're a young vet and you think, oh crap, I really need to work on my communication skills. Uh, have you have you come across anything valuable that people can refer to or or you know training sessions or anything like that? There is a book that I'm reading at the moment. It's a it's a book that's purely based on uh, an expanded uh, explanation of the Cam- Calgary Cambridge consultation style. Mm-hmm. Um, it's 300 pages. It's pretty dense, um, mm-hmm. but there's all little heaps of little nuggets of information in there. I, we can post it in the, a link in the in the actual in the show notes in the show notes. Um, but there is no real um, course out there that's designed for effective communication. Um, I'm, I'm registered to lots of different groups and things and they come up every now and then. Um, mm-hmm. And I went to one uh, just recently, which was, it was fairly good. Um, but they, I think they do, they, they do need to be a lot more interactive. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's, one thing, well, it's one thing reading something and it's another actually practicing it and being, mm. being evaluated and getting feedback on, on your own work. I think it comes down to if you're a new graduate, then have the have the ideas of what uh, you know to be a or an effective communication or consultation style, then reflect. So self analysis is by far the most important thing. If you can record your phone consult your consults with your phone or something with the permission of the client, mm-hmm. then that's really valuable in terms of reviewing how you communicate in the console room and the areas where you feel that you're actually doing well, but whether or not you actually are doing well is a completely different thing in reality. So, yeah, it's a great, that's actually a great idea to be, be great if you could do that and then get somebody, somebody else who is good at it or that you respect to, to have a listen with. Brooke, you mentioned at the start bugging me for a job. Um, I don't know whether that's a tip or not. I don't personally, <laughs> I get bugged quite a lot. To be honest, at that stage, we actually never took on or very rarely took on a new graduate because of the the, the learning curve that's associated with, with emergency critical care. So not only do you have to learn consultation skills um, just in general, but you have to do them with clients who are in a heightened uh, emotional state um, and also the disease process that we see are the advanced presentations of common diseases. So it's always good to have a common baseline and then see the advanced presentations of them uh, first off rather than actually just seeing 
the more critical aspects of, of these common diseases. So, and you said that you bugged me. Is that a gem of advice um, that you, that, that you kind of seeded there or what's your thoughts? Um, I think it's very important to, during university, get prac experience in places that you see yourself working. Um, and I know within like the first 20 minutes of doing work experience with AES, I was following Alex and I was like, this is what I want to do. I was like, I, I don't want to work anywhere else. I have spent time in general practice. It's not for me. I like looking at large animals. I like hugging them. I don't like working on them. <laughs> and I was stuck in this like in between place of, well, I don't want to do general practice and I don't want to do large animals. And I was like, what else is there? Um, and I think, you know, it's all about trying different experiences and finding that little niche that you really like. And as soon as you find it, don't give up on it. You know, I had so many people tell me, you know, you probably shouldn't go into emergency. It's going to be too hard. You should do a year in general practice first. Um, you know, it's going to be the biggest learning curve. Um, basically it's too hard. It's too hard. It's too hard. And I think, you know, it's, you have to listen to what you want. And consider, you know, take on the advice of others as well when they give you, you know, when they're experienced and they're trying to give you advice about your career. But if you really want to do something, get experience and then have like connect with the directors of the company or the vet clinic and say, hey, look, I've, I, can I come back? You know, even if it's for just a weekend, can I pop back in and say hi and help out around the place? And then you just keep doing it until you build up, you know, a professional and a personal connection with them as well. And you, um, and they get to know who you are. I think that's the biggest thing because people are going to hire you for who you are, not what you know. And I think that's the biggest thing about trying to get into, you know, more advanced careers earlier on um, because they need to know that you can handle it and they can't hire you off just knowing what you know. Um, Mm. It's that important foot in the door. Mm. Absolutely. It's 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 kind of like a, a job interview, but a really long one. And I think if you if you found a particular area of veterinary medicine you're interested in, and especially a place where you want to work in, then I think you should take it on. Especially coming from a, an employer standpoint, you really need to take it on, like as if every time you're there, you have to demonstrate what you're capable of. And, and essentially, this is the, the longest job interview that you're ever going to have because every time you rock up, you're going to make sure that you present yourself like as if you were in a job interview. But also at the same time, I think that if you're there, then you really should consider and think about the culture of the practice, the support structures that are, that are there in order to try and assist you when you transition, transition into that hospital. So it should be a job interview from both ways. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your story worked out well, Brooke. But I think in a possibly in a different emergency practice that didn't offer this the support, um, it might have been a total disaster. Um, but yeah, it's, it's and a... I mean, I did a lot of prep work in other emergency hospitals, mm -hmm. um, and we still saw cool cases. But the difference was it was one vet by themselves, sole charge overnight. Mm. Um, and I was there as a student in fifth year, and I almost ended up being a second vet to assist. Yeah. And I was like, no, 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 no way. Um, and I remember just thinking back to a case at AES when I was like in the middle of this crashing patient at this other practice. Um, and I was like, there were four vets around a single ultrasound exam 
and they were all just sitting there looking at this ultrasound being like, is that a foreign body? Is that not a foreign body? Should we cut? Should we not cut? And you had like everyone just there to support you to make that decision because it wasn't a clear, you know, clear, straightforward case. And then that's something that you do see every single day at AES. Like we, I remember we had a really crashing patient, had a pericardial effusion and everybody dropped what they were doing. Yeah. Um, someone was, you know, doing a pericardiocentesis. Someone was grabbing blood from the blood bank. And there were three people trying to get IVs in. Um, everyone was monitoring the vitals. And like, if you were in any other practice, sure, you'd probably still be able to save the patient but you'd be doing it by yourself and it would be so much harder. And I think mm. that was a big thing that really attracted me to AES is the amount of support that you have, which is really important because you know that you're going to be dealing with incredibly sick patients and mm. what you need is support, especially as a new graduate. Sounds like you're going to be getting lots of job applications, Gerard. <laughs> 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 Don't worry, I get a lot of them through Instagram. And, <laughs> um, but maybe the the whole idea there Brooke is actually you set yourself up for success right you you had a career that you wanted to, to enter and you presented yourself in a way that was I suppose as an employer like a good candidate to employ but then you also then picked a practice or picked a hospital where you knew that you would have support you knew you would have the backup so in a way your you, you select your you had an outcome right the outcome was being an emergency clinician. But in order to get there, you set yourself up for success by being the person you needed to be. So you set your own intentions, but also at the same time, you picked an environment which was conducive for that. Exactly. I think, you know, working at AES definitely wasn't an accident and it definitely wasn't luck. Um, it was very, very strategic. I think planning early on, um, and as you said, you know, setting yourself up for success is a big thing there's something I'll, I'll add again from a from an employee employer's perspective um I, i'm dealing with a with a new graduate to the, the new grad program at the moment and she's she's job hunting um and I, I gave her advice the other day that i think people should should keep in mind she's looking she's looking for job ads she's looking for or she was looking for clinics that are advertising for new vets and i i, I did say to her certainly in, in my personal experience um sometimes i won't have an ad out for vets but in the back of my mind i'm thinking or oh, probably i could probably do with somebody else or so it's worthwhile if you when you're out job hunting to pick the clinics you really want to work at even if they're not advertising to contact them and say Look, awesome. I, I am looking and 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 then don't be disheartened if it's a no the first time um six months later say again hey, i'm i'm still would love to work for you um, even if it's just weekends as you say just get that foot in the door bug them politely uh, is, is probably not bad advice as a, um, because very often they, they just wouldn't have gotten it's a, it's a big mission to, to advertise for vets and employ vets and if one who's clearly enthusiastic and really wants to do what you do at your clinic if they fall into your lap it's very tempting as an employer to just say yeah okay why not come give it a try yeah totally um, quite frequently we'll get emails of resumes coming through and we will seriously consider those because mm. they've taken the step themselves yep. they've shown the initiative to reach out yep and then when they email again it's kind of like okay that's a serious candidate yeah as opposed to ones which wait for the application for the to go job in. Ad. Yeah. yeah yeah it's an expensive process thousands of dollars to put an ad in the paper and 
essentially what happens is you, as an employee, you kind of wait, you wait until you really need one because you yep. need to make sure that actually the, the money that you invest actually results in, um, like you actually fills a space that you actually need to fill. So. Hmm. Absolutely. Cool. Um, Brooke, so clearly the appeal of your, of your account is all the cool stuff that you get to see, all the cool things you, you get to work on, all the amazing cases. Um, it is fun. Uh, have, have you got any, any, any standout cases, any, any great stories that you, that you can think of? Um, oh, I know we had Gerardo and I had one this year. Um, the dog's name was Wookie and oh. it was, it was a dog attack and it walked in at, I think 9 p.m. it had a massive bulge in its side um, and it was rushed straight out the back. Dog walked out, you know, all its vitals were relatively stable. It was just incredibly sore and painful. Um, I'd already admitted another two dog attacks by then, like prior to that evening. So I knew that I had, you know, already five hours of surgery ahead of me. And I walked into the consult room and I was chatting to the client and she was like, oh, do you think it could wait till tomorrow? And I said, look, I don't think so because I think your dog's intestines are sitting under its skin. Mm. And she was like, oh, okay. <laughs> well, we, we, we better do surgery tonight then. And I was like, mm, I think that's a great idea. Um, and then it hit and then we stabilized it. I did my other surgeries. We did the diagnostics on Wookiee and sure enough, we took an x-ray and you could see mm. the intestines clear as day just sitting there. Yeah. Um, and I remember I texted Alex, it would have been like 2 a.m. And I was like, are you awake? And she was like, what do you need? I was like, I need help. <laughs> I, I am now. <laughs> I was like, I need a lot of help. And she was like, I'll send Gerardo in. Uh, <laughs> so I, I, like, I like that. I like that. <laughs> Alex, I need help. All right, I'll, I'll send you out. <laughs> um, and I was, I just started the surgery by the time Gerardo walked in, and he walked into me like my hand in his dog's abdomen. Mm. And I remember I just said, fuck, 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 fuck. Yeah. yeah. And I just kept saying it because I was looking at this abdominal hernia in this dog. Yep. And I was like, this is insane. Mm. I was like, I don't know if I can do this. I just stood there like looking at this dog and Gerardo came in and he was like, okay, what have we got? And he started stitching this dog up and I was there assisting. Um, and then the dog's respiratory vitals started to just plummet and we were like, what is going on? Um. And then we looked at the other side of the dog and it's got a diaphragmatic puncture. Ooh. And we were like, okay, so now we're getting into a thoracotomy. Mm. Um, and this was like oh, 7 a.m. in the morning, I think, when we found that out. And we'd been in surgery for about three hours already. Ooh, um, and then at that stage, at the thoracotomy stage, I assisted with that. And then I tapped out to write all my discharge notes for all my other patients that I had in hospital. Mm. Um, because you know, you've got one critical patient, but yeah, I had yeah, six or seven other time. admitted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I tapped out of surgery then and Gerardo completed the rest of the surgery for me. Um, and just, we were so sure that this dog would go into SIRS, like with the amount of puncture wounds and mm. trauma that it had. And we were all just sitting there like waiting for her to crash and burn because I was so scared for her. But no, six hours after surgery, she was up and walking. She went home three days later and just did not look back. And she was the toughest dog I've ever met. But it was also probably the most draining experience that I had 
and I think it took me nearly a month to like emotionally recuperate after that because when you put your heart and soul into a single patient it's exhausting um but like the owners gave me hugs and they thanked me for saving their dog's life and you know like that's that's what you do in emergency and that's what you live for and that's brilliant isn't it has to be one of my standout cases for the year yeah that's brilliant Wookie was Wookie was a pretty tricky patient and um, I remember walking in there and there are there are times as a as a as a senior veterinarian as a mentor where you go you really have to draw the line and you go no look you can handle this look you can handle this and then when I walked in there and saw that I was like holy shit <laughs> I'll need your help with this one <laughs> that was a team effort I mean, there's no way that I um yeah it was it was very clear very quickly that like I, it would, there's nothing that, that you know, not even like myself or myself could do that it was it was, it was literally a big tear which went from it incorporated half of the diaphragm pulled off its epaxial muscles and the it literally tore off the muscles of the back all the way down Ooh. past the kidney tore off the muscles of the spine so that was that was that was horrendous actually oh. Actually, you you should um, um, put the highlights in your Instagram. So any listeners who want to listen, who want to look at the the highlights can look at your Instagram and your highlights and Wookie will be there, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. Um, But I think, you know, another important thing that I learned from Wookie's case was when you get into a tough situation and you're in a clinic that you have support, Mm. you go, you draw the line as as a first year and you're like, I need help with this. And I was completely okay with asking for help. And I think that's a big step that new graduates have to get over is asking for help when they need it. But, you know, she walked in and I was like, I am going to need help with this case. Not not Um, just, not just new graduates. If I was in that case, I'd, I'd want help and I've been doing it for 17 years. (laughs) I would, I would, would, I'd also love a bit of help with a case like that. And I should never, ever get too self-important to admit that you, that you need a bit of help. Exactly. And I think, you know, it's always, you only disadvantage yourself and your patient when it's a complicated case and you don't ask for help. Yeah. And yourself, well, the, the, the extra stress you put on yourself is not necessary. Just get some, just get some help if you if you can get it. Now the, you, you said something else important there or something else that I'm curious about. You said it took you a month to recover. What do you do to recover? So you, 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 you've got a stressful job, like all vets, it's not just emergency. What's your? Have you got specific strategies and, and and plans to to keep that balance to keep your your mental health intact? <laughs> um, I do go to the gym a lot. One, I eat a lot of chocolate on shifts. So <laughs> I've got to do something. To, I've got to do something to, to offset that. Yeah. Um, but two, I find it a really good mental reset. Um, you know, I, I try to get to the gym between shifts. So. I have a sleep, I wake up, I reset, and then I go back to work. Mm. Um, I think that's a big thing. Also, making the effort to catch up with friends. Um, when, you're, when you're doing shift work, it's very easy to just get into this sleep, work, sleep pattern. You sit at home in the dark, you watch Netflix, you don't move. Yep. Um, and I think you know, making the effort to have personal connections with people and say, hey, can we just catch up for a movie or a glass of wine or something like that was a huge help. Yep. Um, and I think the other, the other thing was I had to have a huge, 
like mind shift as well after Wookie's case um, because I was like, I had to call in for help and I was like, I'm glad I did. That was awesome. That was the best thing I could have done. But it was also a little bit of a confidence hit and I had to really change my mental self-talk and every other case I walked into, I was like, no, I can do this. Um, and I think that's a big thing when you ever come across an emotionally tough case, when you go back into work the next day, mm. the big thing is to tell yourself, no, I can do this. Um, what I, what I bring to the table, what I bring to my patients is incredibly valuable. I get to be here. This is my life and I appreciate it. Um, and sometimes you do have to remind yourself of that, um, particularly yeah. when you lose a patient as well. I was about um, to say, you, at, at least, at least Wookie was lucky. That could have gone down yeah, quite, exactly. quite easily. And that, that's much harder to, to deal with. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, just keeping in mind how you're talking to yourself mentally mm -hmm. um, was a huge thing. And it was just something that I was really focused on afterwards of just always talking to myself positively particularly when I was facing another tough case mm. and just being like, no, just work through it. You've got it. You can do this. So is that an, is that an inherent skill or did you learn that? Or are you like, where, where do you develop that mindset from? How did you develop it? Are you lucky um, that you, were you born with it or? I think I've always been a relatively positive person anyway. Um, but it probably wasn't until fifth year that I actually realized the importance of mindset. You know, in all my previous exams, I would go into it thinking, oh, I hope I don't fail. Mm -hmm. I'd lie in bed awake before exam time going, oh, I think I'm going to fail this. I don't know enough, um, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, but then in fifth year, I changed it to, I, I do know this. I put mm -hmm. in the work. Mm -hmm. I've studied for hours. There's nothing more that I could have done. And I've just got to go in there and do my best and my best will be good enough. Um, and I slept, yep. you know, I had a great sleep before my exam. There was no of that anxiety, insomnia that I was dealing with before. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until then that I actually realized how important it is because then if you walk into an exam saying, I've got this, I can do it. I just have to walk, work through the questions slowly. Right. So then when you get to a tough question, you just don't throw up your pencils and say, no, fuck this. I can't do it. Yeah. You sit there and you go, no, hang on, picture the page in my head. And you just work through the question slowly. And it does have a really big mental impact, especially for exams. And I think mm. that's where I learned it. And then now I've just kind of carried it through into my career. This, you mentioned there a couple of things where you, you thought about like, you get to be here and, you know, this is where I can have my impact and things. And the, the theme there like is around reframing, I believe, well, at least it sounds that way. There is it's a really powerful thing that um, one of the, the performance coaches that, that I follow called Brendan Bouchard talks about, and it's, 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 a, it's an amazing little tool, but it can help just flick the switch in your head, especially in situations like Wookie, where you're like, holy shit, this is so not cool. Um, and it's, and he calls it what a gift and what happens is if you're in an adverse situation, stressful situation, something somewhere, you, you know, don't know, like you don't want to be here. You don't know if you have the capabilities, you don't know if you have the capacity, what do you say to yourself in your head is you say, what a gift. And what happens then is then you start to actually think about what this situation could provide you in terms of your personal growth. What a gift I have to be able to be here to 
to help save Wookie so we can get Wookie back um, together with the, with the owners. What a gift that I get to be able to see um, a severe intestinal hernia, diaphragmatic repair, and thoracotomy. Like, what a gift that I get to um, be in the situation where I have a team that supports me and so forth. Like, mm. reframing it around even just the trigger, and it's, it's essentially a trigger, and the trigger is what a gift. And any adverse situation means, I mean, you use that in any adverse situation, what happens is you then start to see the positive aspects of it. You start to see, you start to roll in things like gratitude. I'm grateful for this. And then also it starts to progress and add value to yourself and your personal growth moving forward. So when you said that, when you talked about before about where you have your impact, um, when you walk into a hospital, um, you get to be here. It, it kind of triggered that thought for me in my head that it's it's similar in a sense to um, the concept of a trigger court. What a gift! That's a that's a skill. I think it's a it's a skill that that takes practice as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it takes. I think for many people, uh, definitely myself included, it's a it's 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 something you have to realize first. Somebody has to tell you, or you have to to get it into your head and then practice it. Have you got any? Um, is there, are there any resources or any books or anything that you that you can recommend to people if they if they need to work on this on this mind shift either you yourself Gerardo or you Brooke if you come across anything interesting um I don't I don't really have any resources as I guess it's just a thing that I picked up or realized within within myself mm-hmm. um but then also as well, you know, Dorado came back one day after one of his conferences and he was like, Oh my God, I love this thing, blah, 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 blah. And he pretty much just said the same thing that he just said to me. And I was like, Hey, that is actually so, so, so important. Um, and it is something that he does talk to a lot of vet students about as well. So I guess sometimes I listen to what he says. but yes we could put some links to some or yes some links or suggested books that would be worth reading um a big one is mindset by carol dweck um and then the other one is high performance habits by brenda bouchard two books that i think have really seeded some key uh, concepts in my head around taking control and responsibility but also the reframing the way you view things the other one that's on the same sort of topic um is uh, the obstacle is the way by mm. ryan holiday and uh, that also talks about the as you say seeing those challenges in a trying to see them in a, in a much more positive light so it's where it's, there's a lot out there on on this for for, for for me it was definitely from from reading that the uh, that that i really started thinking about this and and, and started making a, a more conscious effort to 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 change your own mind about things. Ah, I think we covered a heap of stuff. So what, what's your thoughts here? Hubes, do you want to, I'm not going to call you Hubes. That sounds like most people do that. I, don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I just made that up. That up and it eventually gets there. <laughs> do, do people actually call you Hubes? It goes much further than I won't tell you where that leads to. <laughs> <laughs> Brooke, I, I was going to ask you about, um, Again, I, I think most of our audience will be students and, and younger vets. Um, so you seem like you're coping pretty well. Uh, you, you seem like you'll be you'll be okay. Uh, what about some of your friends and people who went through uni with you? What what do you think are the greatest challenges that 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 vets of your generation struggle with these days? 
I think the biggest, one of the biggest things that particularly that I've seen with a lot of my friends in practice is that they go into a practice without a lot of support. Mm. Um, and that's when you start, you know, doing five nights a week on call by yourself. Mm. Um, and you, then you show up to work the next day and your boss is out half a day. So then mm. you've got a room full of clients all to yourself as well. Mm. Um, and I think that's, a struggle that a lot of vets face when they graduate because they feel like they just have to take the first job that comes to them because yep. they might not get another job. And that's that, it's that fear. Yeah. Um, so I think the biggest thing would be, you know, when you don't have to take the first job that you get offered, you're worth a lot more than that. You're mm. worth a lot more than the first thing that falls into your lap. Um, and you deserve the support when you graduate, you know, you might not think that you need it. Mm. Um, and, but you will, get a time and you will um, have it have a case that comes your way and you'll be like, I really wish I had that support. So I think that's one of the biggest things. Um, I think the other issue that I guess vets in general face is dealing with costs and online reviews mm. and trying to not let online reviews affect you. Yeah. Um, which is a very, very difficult thing. It is. It is. Um, I had a review written directly and personally about me a few weeks ago Um, from a disgruntled client who was just very, very aggressive in consult in general. So I wasn't even surprised um, when I saw it, but he targeted me directly that I was only in it for the fame and for the Instagram, which actually almost scared me because it meant that he looked through my social media. Um, But it's all about just saying, look, there's some clients in life who you're never going to keep happy no matter what you do. You could sell a kidney for them and they probably would still not be happy. Mm. Um, And I think that's the biggest thing, you know, you can only do your best. You can only act with the information that's in front of you. Um, And as long as you give 110% every time and you care for your patients and you do what you would do for your own pet, Mm. then I think that, you know, no matter what people say, um, as long as you know that within yourself, I think that's yeah. the biggest thing to remember. Yeah, it still hurts, doesn't it? Just <laughs> <laughs> even when you it know really it. Really sucks. I, but... the, the social media thing, I think, is a, it's a blessing and a, and a curse at the mm-hmm. same time. It really is. Um, whew, I, I, I'm still, I'm still trying to figure out how to. Uh, my, my advice for myself is mostly just don't, just don't look at it. <laughs> seriously if you don't yeah. see it it can't hurt you if you don't see it yeah that's true too and i think you know the biggest thing is if you know that you did everything you could for the case then that's that's your best defense yeah yeah, yeah. exactly exactly so what are, what are your guys policies how do you guys deal with it um client complaints client complaints and and, and client feedback are uh, i've kind of reframed them in my head they, they hurt when you read them, yeah. um, but then you've got to make that quick transition to what can I learn? What can I learn about others? So what can I learn about myself? What can I learn about others? And what strategies can I create in the future? Yeah. So sometimes there's there's nothing you can do to have prevented the situation. Yeah. It's just that, you know, a constellation of uh, of random and rare events which resulted in the situation of just pure anarchy or whatever Mm. but sometimes there are things where it's like actually you know what i 
didn't introduce myself as clearly as I thought I would, as, as I thought I did, or I could have called that client earlier or something like that. So there's sometimes there are little things that you could do, mm. which you can add in or change or shape a little bit the way that you do, you know, your strategies moving forward. So I always try to reframe them and ask you know, the questions like, okay, so what can I learn about myself? What have I learned about others? And what can I do next time? So, um, and then from there, what happens? You slowly etch away and, and the feedback you get comes like almost like a, a what a gift. Yeah. What a gift that this client told me something that I can learn from. Yeah. See the, 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 prob- the ones that I talk about not looking at, I don't mind client feedback and client complaints. Even they, they, it's valid and, and you can always learn from them. I, I, the ones that worry me are just the trolling. Oh, you the know, trolling ones. You know, yeah, I, I get trolling ones just, all the they time. They just grumpy about the money and then they make up stuff to mm. just to have vent their spleen on the internet and it makes me, ugh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, see, and sometimes you bet that those, those, those trolling ones are the ones where you go, what have I learned about myself that this, that, that this affects me? Mm. What can I do? What do I learn about others? Mm, okay. That person has <laughs> issues. Okay. Yeah. Um, what I can learn about strategy, the strategy may be that actually I need to desensitize myself to these ones. So, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, sometimes there's, 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 there's nothing you can do. Yep. So, mm. yeah. And sometimes you just have to laugh and just laugh it off. And, that's that's valuable <laughs> and move on <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah yeah no Gerardo, I'm, I'm, I'm towards the end of of the of the official questions so do you have any any anything else you want to discuss with brooke i think that's we have covered some very very valuable ground mm, yeah no I, I don't know if i have any more questions how about we we do the the, the the final little bit that we always seem to run out of time to do the short ones the short ones hubert Okay, so to Brooke, I've got a couple of couple of short questions that we that we try to ask all of our guests. Um, we've already covered some between me and Gerardo, but what about your reading options? Have you got any any books that that you that you recommend to people, or that or that you think I should read? I am a sucker for uh, nonsense romances. Oh, okay. Oh, please recommend one. <laughs> I love the Katie Ford series and it's always set in like the English countryside and it's those books that I take on holidays and I sit in a deck chair and I just read for six hours straight and don't move and it's, it's my happy non-thinking place. I want to see a, I want to see a photo of you, Hubert. <laughs> reading a Katie Ford. A Katie Ford romance novel. Yes. I could, I'd, be, I'd probably be crying too much to read. <laughs> that's cool. I love it. That's, that's excellent. That's, that's, I think it's actually very valuable to... Um, to read just fun books. Yeah. I, I tend to get stuck uh, into, into serious books and actually sometimes yeah. you should read just to just to relax, just to get I, out. I can't read serious books. I read to, yeah, not think about everything else that's going on. Do you, do you have any advice? Brooke, you've, you've been incredibly successful on Instagram, building a, a, a following there and sharing. I'm, I'm sure there are some listeners out there who would like to have or do similar things to what you're doing. What, 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 you know, what, what could be three things that you could offer them? Um, I would say, you know, the first one would be to be genuine um, and share the highs and the lows and just be honest about what's going on. Um, I look, you know, you get so sick of seeing this very, very glossy social media life and everything's perfect. Um, but I remember when I was talking about Wookiee's case, I was like nearly crying in my story when I was talking about it. 
Um, and I think, yeah, the biggest thing is to be genuine because then people actually know who you are and they want to connect with you for who you are. Um, and I think that makes a stronger, a stronger following and a more loyal following. Um, the other thing would be, I guess, collaborate with other successful people. I know that um, Alex and you have both been very, very integral in my success on social media um, and supported me through it. Um, and I really, really appreciate that. So whether that's, you know, doing product giveaways or shout outs to your favorite Instagram accounts and um, just making a community for yourself online as well that you can connect with because you're stronger as a community. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the third thing would be listen to what your followers do want. Um, I know that, you know, my educational posts do get a higher amount of interactions um, and so does my post targeted towards students and stress and studying. Um, so I do pay very, very close attention to what gets the most amount of interactions and I do gauge, do gauge that. Mm, that's really important. That's really good. I think if I could add one more, because I only, got, I only offered you three there, I gave you the opportunity for three, but I'm, I'm sure if I gave you a fourth one, it'd be consistent, <laughs> consistency. It would be, I think. Yeah, you would notice when you look at my Instagram grid, all my photos are me in scrubs in the hospital. Um, or if you look at Alex's, it's fitness, dogs, and hospital work. And it is all about consistency. So people, when they look at your Instagram, they know what they're getting. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Um, why does the, what's the why behind your Instagram account? Why, when it, I can imagine it must take quite a bit of time and, and kind of a lot of emotional involvement. What, what inspired you to start it? Um, I initially started it after my first boyfriend broke up with me and I wanted something else to do. <laughs> so I started it back in, I think, second year or third year of uni. Okay. Um, and it was just, you know, staring sharing stuff about study and um, university and things like that. Yeah. Um, but when I first, you know, started work at AES, I actually wanted to share, you know, the highs and lows of new graduate life because I realized very, very quickly it was a lot harder than I thought it would be. Yeah. Um, it's a lot more stressful and there's a lot of things that I learned very quickly that I wish other people knew as well. Like simple things like you don't give plasma to low protein patients because it doesn't do much mm, to yeah. increase their total protein. Yeah. Um, and just little things like that, little nuggets of veterinary wisdom that I wished other people knew because I wish I knew it sooner yeah. as well. Yeah, okay. um, and just helping explain, you know, complicated topics like Addison's and endocrine diseases that you would learn at uni and you're like, nah, straight mm. over my head. I yeah. don't get it. Um, so I wanted to be able to put, clinical topics into um, a practical situation and show them a case study and explain the reasoning behind it and things like that. And also show the cool things that I get to do every yeah. day because I love emergency and I want other people to love emergency. That's brilliant. Gerardo, should we wrap it up? One last question or have you got anything else? I oh, know. The one question. So you go. The one the, question. The one question. Brooke, you're at a, you're at a talk, so you get invited uh, to to a Congress of new graduates around the world. And you've got, you've got pretty much all the new grads in the world in one, in one hall. And you have a couple of minutes to give them one message. What is your message? I think the biggest thing would be don't 
be so hard on yourself. Um, you graduate and you think you know everything and you very quickly learn that you don't know everything. You actually know very, very little. Um, but the big thing would be to celebrate the cases that you do succeed in um, and celebrate, you know, all the little wins, even if it's a really shitty day and you place a catheter in a tiny puppy, mm. celebrate that. Um, and then, you know, on the really, really tough cases, just remind yourself that you did the best you can and look back and say, maybe I would have done this or this differently. And if you do do something wrong, learn from it because you owe your patient that much and you owe your next patient that much. Mm. Um, but then at the same time, like actually enjoy what you get to do every day and seize that moment. If there's a cute puppy out the back, stop and hug it. You know, mm. we get so caught up with going from consult to consult and typing up our medical records and you will always find me in a cage with the dog. Yeah. Um, one of my managers said, I think we need to be more productive at work. And I was like, and I, I, well, I did become more productive, but I still didn't sacrifice that time to sit with patients and because that's what you're in the job for. So I think, you know, you just need to remind yourself why you do it. Hmm. Couldn't great. agree more. Couldn't agree more. I think that's a great place to wrap it up. <laughs> yes. Awesome. Thank Brooke. you so much for your time, Brooke. Gerardo? Yeah, exactly. I was about to say exactly what you said. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Gerard. <laughs> um. so, thank you very much, Brooke. And for anyone who uh, doesn't follow Brooke on Instagram, um, her, her name is Dr. Underscore Brooke, B-R-O-O-K-E. So there's heaps of stories from our hospital, heaps of um, helpful um, strategies to cope with uh, being a student and being a new grad, lots of advice um, and just amazing content. That's great. So have a look there. There's also be highlights regarding our Wookiee case. So uh, you'll be able to see kind of what happened there. And um, yeah, overall, thank you very much Brooke, for, for, for joining us and um, sharing a, a lot of things that um, that uh, helped you succeed and, and progress down the career path that you have um, and, and are doing so well in. So thank you. Thanks for having me. We'll see you next time. Okay, team, time for the bonus section. We hope you've been listening carefully. But in case you haven't, or if you don't know where to start, here's our take on what you can take from this episode that will really add value to your career. First off, pull out your diary and look at the next public holiday shift that you need to work. How does that make you feel? Do you feel sorry for yourself? Are you anxious about it? Now, think about all the good that you can do on that day at work. How many people can you help? How many animals are you going to help on that day while the rest of the country is slagging off on holiday? How much will you learn on that day? Maybe, maybe this is what you're meant to be doing on your public holiday. Next, if you're job hunting or will be in the next year or so, picture the sort of place that you'd like to work at. Do you have somewhere in mind? Write down the place that you'd like to work at the most. Now, find a way to get your foot in the door. Google the clinic, Facebook stalk the staff, learn their culture, what makes them tick, then phone and speak to the practice manager or one of the veterinarians and ask about volunteering, seeing the practice, cleaning the kennels. We have 
dozens of students that come to our practice and quite often they're the people that we will hire in our emergency hospitals. Next, ask your employer if they'd be okay if you recorded your consults. Record a few every day on your own phone and listen back to yourself. You know, it may sound weird at the start hearing your own voice, but soon you get used to it. But there's so much value to be had there. So get someone whose opinion you respect to have a listen to and get them to give you some feedback. Did you introduce yourself properly? Did you sound confident? What can you improve upon? How could you deliver the information that you deliver in a way that is effective and has the desired outcome. Think back to the last negative experience that you had at work or in your private life when something didn't go the way you planned or when you had some negative feedback. Try to remember what your thoughts were at the time. Did you feel like you were worthless or an idiot? Did you get defensive? Or did you feel like life was unfair and that you were the innocent victim? Now, try to reframe that situation. Think back to that day. What did you learn from it? What about that situation can you be grateful for? What can you do next time to prevent a similar situation? Or, if you couldn't have prevented it, how will you think differently about it next time? Now, next time that you're at work, pick an animal to be your cuddle victim for the day. When you feel flustered, stressed, angry, tired, go to that animal, take it out the cage and cuddle it for two minutes. It'll change your day. Alright, we'll stop bothering you now. You've got your hands full with this week's homework. So get off your phone and get out there and start building your dream career. Remember, it's not going to happen by itself. Get your mindset right, set your focus and take action. We'll see you back here next week.